The Student Voting Network podcast is produced by students at a national level. The views expressed in this podcast are not reflective of any organization affiliated with the Student Voting Network. So welcome everybody. My name is Oscar Lazaro and we're hosting today uh, Understanding Latinidad, an episode on identity. We're going to be discussing what different terms mean, what a Chicano is or a Chicanx person is, what Hispanic is, what Latinidad means to different people. So we're here to discuss openly, kind of have a forum on everyone's different experience and see if other people can kind of relate to that. So like I said, my name is Oscar Lazaro. I am from Texas. So I was born and raised in Houston, been here for a long, long time, and that's kind of shaped my experience, so I think that's important to say, but I'm going to turn it over up to our guests here and make sure everyone introduces themselves and says hi. So, Sebastian, you want to go ahead? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, my name is Sebastian Canales. Um, my pronouns are he and they. I'm currently a junior at um, Cleveland State University in Ohio, majoring in political science. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, uh, but then I moved to Ohio when I was 10 or 11 years old, and I've been here uh, ever since. I think it's a great uh, state, in my opinion, and uh, my parents migrated from, well, my mother migrated from El Salvador, and my father uh, migrated from Honduras. I think they were both still really early in their 20s when they migrated. So their story and their migrating here has obviously affected my life in probably every aspect, um, which I'm sure we will be able to discuss um, later on in the episode. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So I'm going to go to Brooklyn next. Hi, everybody. My name is Brooklyn. Um, I go by she, her pronouns. I attend Penn State University main, cam- main campus, I'm sorry, in uh, Center County, PA. Um, I am also from Pennsylvania myself. Um, I am not Hispanic or Latina, but I do know a lot of Hispanic and Latina individuals. Um, so I really cannot ex- share too much about my personal experience with the terms or anything like that, but I do know how sometimes the terms can be used to hinder friends of mine or people that I know in um in ways that are not beneficial to the development of their cultural experiences. All right. Thanks, Brooklyn. Thanks for coming on. And lastly, we've got Amanda here. Hello. So my name is Amanda. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I go to the University of Houston at Clear Lake. So um, my home state is Texas. Um, as for like my cultural background, I identify with a little bit of, um, I guess it would be indigenous. I just recently found out that I was indigenous because I did some like ancestry 23andMe sort of investigations. So I'm indigenous Mexican and indigenous American, but I mostly just identify as Hispanic. Um, because I have a lot of Spanish in me. Um, and then as far as like, you know, what I'm thinking about the terms, I really don't think too much into them. You know, people identify with what they want to identify as. And I just think that as people, we should just be respectful of how people want to identify. So. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. So 
Yeah, I want to start off. I'm not going to go straight into the terms, but there's a couple things I learned just now. I, I should note that this is kind of our first time really having a conversation as a group. So we're all from different states. I know Brooklyn and Sebastian through the Student Voter Network as Democracy Fellows. And I know Amanda from my campus. So I'm at the University of Houston Clear Lake as well. Um, there's a couple of things to know here. So Sebastian um, doesn't have the Mexican heritage that, that I have and that Amanda has. And I think that's a really important distinction in this conversation because I think it brings up a really important issue that a lot of people will, I guess, kind of treat other Latin American or Hispanic cultures as kind of being part of the same group as, as Mexican-Americans and Mexicans uh, in, this, I guess, the United States. And we'll get into that a little bit, but it's interesting how we end up sharing a lot of experiences in the United States. And I think that we're kind of united by this immigrant experience. So Sebastian said that his, his family emigrated. Um, his parents came from two different countries and my parents both came from Mexico. And I think I've mentioned to some, some in this group before that it's my opinion that immigrant cultures who have shared Hispanic roots tend to be discriminated against uh, very similarly because people just see what we look like and they kind of, I think Mexicans and Mexican-Americans have a certain history in the United States and we, we end up kind of being treated similarly so it's really cool i think that sebastian's on and then amanda identifies as indigenous because i also recently found out that i'm indigenous through dna tests and i kind of assumed that based on being mexican so we'll get into that a little bit but i'm really happy that brooklyn's here because brooklyn is here as kind of an outside perspective and i think it's important to to kind of recognize how other people see us and you know that's a huge part of our experiences as different communities so what do you guys think um so as far as like what you were saying about how like there's different sects i guess of um like being hispanic or chicano or whatever it is that people identify as um so growing up for me i went to pretty much a majority white school and i really wasn't treated any differently from other people that's just how i was brought up and so my first exposure to understanding that people were different based on where they came from, like El Salvador, Honduras, Mexico, my first experience was kind of humiliating because I had never been exposed to that. Somebody had told me like, oh, I'm Puerto Rican. And I was like, oh, so you're Hispanic. And they were like, no, I'm Puerto Rican. And I was like, okay, well, I guess same difference. But it's not same difference like I thought. Like I had to, she had to explain to me, like, hey, th- what you're saying is rude and it's hurtful, and like I'm not, say- I'm not the person that you're saying that I am. And there's like huge cultural differences, and I just didn't understand that because I'd never been exposed to that. Okay, I think. Wow, I think I think a lot of people have had similar experiences. I think that brings me to a couple things I wanted to discuss and. I think one of the big things that we face as kind of different 
parts, people that exist at different spectrums of this kind of cultural umbrella or this big category that's kind of assigned to us is that we all have different impressions or understandings of the same terms. So I really want to talk about the terms that are in our title. So Chicano, Hispanic, and Latino. So um, there's a couple things, but I want to go ahead and start by saying that, um, right, like Amanda pointed out, that Hispanic cultures can be very different. And the first uh, question that comes to mind that, that I have studied through Mexican-American studies is that when you use the term Hispanic or Latino, um, that means different things to different people and one of the one of the major things that comes to mind with the term is that describing somebody as hispanic is erasing their multicultural multi-ethnic history so yeah. yeah so i think that might be some of what you ran into and i think i've i've run into it and i i kind of get frustrated when people call me hispanic or latino because if i'm being completely honest i don't identify as either of those because yeah. i even before I did my DNA test, uh, I, I really try to embrace uh, the mestizaje, the history of indigenous culture in Mexican history. So I identify with that um, more than Spanish or colonial roots. So I did my DNA test and I'm like 70 to 80% um, native Mexican, pre-Columbian blood. Like I'm like 0% Spanish. Um, and, and I just don't use the terms. Um, and then really quickly, I wanted to touch on Chicano. So Chicano is a political term. It's kind of a historical term that's rooted in the Chicano movement in the United States. And there's, some, there's also some complications there because the Chicano movement was very Mexican-American. It was specific to Mexican-American people and farm workers. And that kind of excludes other people who go through similar discrimination or, or get lumped into the same category. So these terms are very imperfect and i think that within communities we can come up with we can we can kind of bump into each other and have disagreements about what these things mean and it can be kind of tense like you described so oscar i'm, I'm curious for people who maybe don't know what the controversial aspect of the term chicano is what is your perspective on why it is controversial there's a couple of reasons why I think it could be controversial. So some people, I'll, I'll go with the, the gendered thing, but uh, so Chicanx, um, people, people tried to do Chicanx, Latinx, and I just wanted to recognize that, that that's kind of an ongoing debate. For my purposes, I'm kind of used to using the word Chicano because I am a Chicano, I am a, I'm a male. Um, so just a heads up there. But the Chicano movement was kind of, I think, flawed because it was very... It was almost nationalist and it was centered around Mexican identity and it was political. It was a political struggle. It was, a, it was kind of a labor, labor movement, really. So one thing I can think of is that that movement was very specific to one group of people, but I think that, that the struggles that the Chicano movement represented applied to a lot more people than Mexican-Americans. And I think Chicano studies since then have kind of understood that that's the case. Uh, Chicano. Chicanismo, like to be Chicano, can be applied to any form of cultural hybridity. Anybody who's who's migrated to the United States has immigrant history, um, shares some of those working class struggles, and that's why, like, if if you were to ask me, I would consider Sebastian a Chicano. You know, I would consider 
certain other groups, non-Hispanic immigrants to be like, hey, you can be an honorary Chicano, Chicana, because we have very similar histories. This is about being a stranger in the country that you're in, but also not being accepted in the country that your families are historically from. So that's one issue. And the second issue was the Chicano movement was really sexist. So, I mean, we could go on about that, but the Chicano movement was very sexist. And I think that's very well documented. Um, it's documented in Chicano writings. It's documented in documentaries. It's, it, it was just not the most inclusive movement. And I think that people have had to acknowledge that maybe, maybe that wasn't the brand of like Chicanismo that we needed. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird term, you know, so it leaves a, a bad taste in some people's mouths. And then for some people like Mexican immigrants, like my parents thought of Chicano as a bad thing. Um, coming from Mexico, they were just like, oh, Chicanos are cholos or Chicanos are gangsters and they like low riders. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and then I, <laughs> yeah. And then I learned what Chicanos were historically. And I was like, oh, dude, Chicanos are like working class, a working class movement. You know, I, I can relate to that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot to go into there. Um, what do you guys think? Well, Brooklyn, what if I'm really curious about your experience because I think that the experience within these cultures kind of varies depending on where you are in the United States. And there's a lot of this stuff just, you know, as soon as you leave the bubble of being Mexican-American or being Hispanic or Latino, it doesn't really apply. So I'm curious to think, to, to hear what you have to say or what your thoughts are. Um, so prior to me, um, you know, joining the panel, um, I did not hear of the phrase Chicano before. Uh, this is a very new phrase to me. I have not heard of it. So I do not have much say on that phrase. Um, in terms of me and my relations with people of um, Hispanic or Latina descent, um, the biggest thing for me that kind of uh, sparked my interest in you know, trying to build with that community was uh, when Trump and the border came to be a big thing. Um, that thing, I know it kind of sparked a lot of um, emotions and um, different feelings um, amongst the Hispanic Latina community as well as um, other minority groups as well. Um, I feel like, you know, when you go through things that other people go through, even though it might not be in the same realm, but, you know, it's a form of um, systemic racism at the end of the day. And um, when you can relate on that level, um, that kind of makes you want to explore those identities and see what that life is like, even though you can't fully live it because you aren't that identity, if that makes sense. So um, a big part of me was when that whole thing broke out, um, a big part of me was trying to sympathize with my uh, Hispanic or Latina friends and, you know, trying to figure out how they felt about it or, you know, why their identities were threatened over, you know, just simply living. And that's just something I feel like that can be shared amongst every minority group or every underrepresented community is why are we targeted for just being simply who we are. Um, So I feel like um, also in terms of that, I feel like also these labels um, aren't used fairly interchangeably. And, you know, there's just general... um, your general label for, you know, all people who they consider Spanish or, you know, people of Latin American descent. Um, you know, there's no type of diversity or thought or, you know, second thought about how to label these people, who they specifically identify as. So not only are you threatening, you know, their um 
their being because, you know, of, of racist views or thoughts, which are also threatening their identity. So it's not only one barrier against them, it's two. And this will also made me kind of sympathize more and get me engaged with this panel because I kind of wanted to share the outside perspective or more so put the input that, you know, the struggles that minorities face in America when it comes to systemic racism, especially when it comes to labeling, hinders us a lot, you know, in so many different ways, whether it be occupational, educational, you know, every way possible. So um, that's kind of my perspective on it, my take on it. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So you're an ally. Sounds like you've been pretty intentional about kind of how you seek this information. I think that's really cool. Um, and I think you touched on something really important and it's one thing that stood out about what you said to me just now is that, or said to us, sorry, is that self-identification is important. And that brings me to one term in particular, and that's Hispanic. So Hispanic, um, if I remember this correctly, is a label that has been ascribed, assigned to us. And, and if you look at the, I think anybody who's brown, basically, and of Hispanic or Latin American descent has had the, the, the box moment, like the census moment where you're like looking at something. You're like, am I Hispanic? Am I Native American? Am I like, am I non-Hispanic white? Like what, what is this, you know? And the term Hispanic has kind of been assigned to us because that's how we're counted in the U.S. census. Um, and I just thought I'd throw that out there. It's, it's a census thing. And like, I don't, I don't know if historically like anybody would have chosen to be that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican. My family's Mexican. You know, we wouldn't identify as Hispanic if we weren't in this country uh, necessarily. I mean, to a certain extent, yes, because we're, you know, we are Hispanic. But you know, it's so common. I think because as kids, we look at a we look at a sheet of paper that tells us who who we sh who what box we fit into, and it's like, oh, Hispanic's the one that applies to me. You know, I'm not thinking about other terms for myself and. One thing I can say that has always kind of bothered me about the census thing or just all um, application processes in general is the amount of emphasis they put on one um, being Hispanic. I feel like in some um, in some contexts or some uh, surveys, um, you know, they constantly ask, like, are you Hispanic or are you like non-white Hispanic? Like they just, you know, several different questions trying to imply. And sometimes it's bother it bothers me, truthfully, because it's like, what are you trying to get at, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, why does it bother you so much, whether it's my Hispanic or not? And I feel like that's also another form of like deep down systemic racism that needs to be like countered immediately because it's just, I feel like that's truly unfair. Like why, why is somebody's identity or, you know, their race or ethnicity some, su such a concern or bother to you? Like, why does it have to be constantly brought up or repeated on several different occasions? Okay. I see that. Yeah, so one of the reasons uh, that we're having this discussion and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to uh, people from different places and with different experiences is that there's a lot of history. There's a lot of history here. And what, what, what we're talking about right now brings me to a Supreme Court case, actually, that I don't think a lot of people know about. And that case is called Hernandez versus Texas. And... The law, the, so there's a there's a whole PBS documentary about this. Uh, there's there's a lot of good resources out there about this, but basically this case um, was aiming to determine that the Mr. Hernandez, the person on trial, was not being um, subject to a trial to a to a case to a trial that included 
uh, a jury of his peers because all the all the jurors were white. And there's a lot more details here, but basically the the whole case kind of revolves around how um, Mexican Americans were treated or Mexicans were treated in the state of Texas and how historically the state of Texas well, I mean segregated Mexican Americans the same way that they segregated black people. We were both subject to Jim Crow laws. We were both subject to segregated schools, segregated bathrooms and things like that. And the outcome of this case was that the court determined that Hispanic people were considered white. Um, and there's, there's a lot of history here. So one of, one of the reasons that Hispanic people fought to be considered white is one, well, it was probably better to be white in Jim Crow South than to be anything else, but also two, because of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is the treaty that ended the Mexican-American War where Mexico lost half of its territory. Um, and that treaty was supposed to give Mexicans who were still in those territories that were now the United States, it was supposed to give them citizenship and recognize them to be white because of their Spanish descent. So you flash forward to Hernandez versus Texas, the Supreme Court case argued that, hey, we shouldn't be subjected to segregation because we're white. Um, but that complicated the argument of the white, all white jury being, you know, not necessarily representative of Mr. Hernandez's peers. So to get around that, um, uh, the lawyers in this case argued that Mexicans and Mexican Americans were white, but they were in a class of their own. They were a separate class. So they were white, but they were not Anglo white. And that's how you get the distinction of white and, or non Hispanic white and Hispanic white. Did you guys know about that? I did, yeah. Okay, cool. I did not. What about you, Sebastian? I actually had never heard about um, this Supreme Court case, um, which is actually quite saddening because I um, consider myself to be someone who is very, in, like, I like learning more about the Supreme Court. I like learning about historic um, Supreme Court cases. So the fact that um, I had actually never heard about this um, is very surprising. Okay. Yeah, so I'm hoping that this podcast becomes a place where people can kind of explore these things because um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to sit here and cite everything, but pretty much anything that we're going to talk about here, if I bring it up and it's historical, it's pretty easily verifiable. So that's one thing. It's a Supreme Court case. Hispanic people, Mexican-Americans were, and this is the other thing. So this applied to Mexican-Americans, but Mexican-Americans weren't the only brown people in Texas, you know? So we weren't the only people treated the same way. Um, or segregated under these laws. And, and I think that's really important to recognize that, like, if, if I'm being very blunt, I think people see a brown person and they're like, you're Mexican. Um, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm Salvadorian, I'm Honduran, I'm, you know, maybe I'm Colombian. Like, th these are very different things. I'm Puerto Rican, I'm cute, you know, whatever. Um, we're very different. Um, but we get, we kind of are seen the same way. And, the law will treat us a certain way based on that shared heritage. So that's an important case, the Texas or the Hernandez versus Texas case. Um, there's a couple of other really cool uh, Mexican American 
court cases. There's one in California that that I was looking at just recently, but I'll have to I'll have to look that one up. But I wanted to share something with you guys, and I I don't know. I guess my question to you all is. So we got a good answer from Brooklyn, but Amanda and Sebastian, how much do you guys know about the Chicano movement? I am going to be completely honest. I am not, you know, I'm not an expert. Okay. So I have heard both sides of the coin of, okay, uh, I think you said it was Chicanx. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Chicanx or Chicano, Chicana. Okay, um, I apologize for my Spanish accent. Just forewarning, I don't have a good, a great one. <laughs> so, um, okay, but yeah, I've heard both sides of the coin of like Chicanx is. Sometimes I've heard it's like a derogatory term when you say that to people. Um, I've heard that from my family because it was like a like you said like a cholo term. Like if you recalled that, it was cholo chola. And they were, you know, not classy. They were just, you know, lower class people that just were looked down upon in comparison to other people in the, I I wouldn't even know what to call it, like other Hispanics, I guess I would say. Which me personally, I'm Hispanic just because, you know, Spanish derivative. Sorry? Oh, we lost you for a second. What were you saying? Oh, um, if you're Hispanic, like, I I prefer the term Hispanic because it is a derivative of the Spanish language or the Latin language. And so for me, that's just easier. Like, you can say, oh, you're Hispanic. Where are you from? And then you can, like, from there, just differentiate. But some people, like you had said, are um, of a working class. And yeah, I've I've heard that from, um, like going to school and actually educating myself um, that it's not just as cut and dry as sometimes our parents make it seem. So Amanda made a really good point. Um, Yeah. So yeah, Chicano, the term Chicano or Chicanx is kind of in some, for some people, pretty derogatory. And I can relate to that too. My, both my parents came from Mexico and so did a lot of my aunts and uncles and to them yeah Chicano, Chicano is like oh people are cholos they like lowriders they're I think the sentiment I I don't mean this harshly but I think that the perspective there is they're they're not Mexican they're not proud of their heritage they're not like there's a lot of pride in one's culture and Mexican culture and I think in a lot of Hispanic cultures and it's like hey I'm uh, I'm respectable I take care of you know what I what I appear to be to other people I'm dignified and I'm proud of my culture and I think sometimes at least around the time that my parents got here I think they would get here and see cholos and be like what are they doing like what why have why are we why do we look like that here like i I don't respect those people uh those are chicanos um so i can relate to what you're saying i think that's that's definitely kind of an image problem um that we have and it's hard it's difficult i think i think that that's one of the problems with the chicano image uh because the movement was was not like cholos and stuff you know, it wasn't lowriders and 
you know, gangsters. It wasn't. <laughs> so it's interesting that that is kind of the perception outside of kind of Chicano groups. It's it's got that connotation. Yeah. So I wanted to clarify that Chicano is a political term. And it's it's not so much about I mean, it it's kind of within that cultural identity, but it's definitely a political term. And and to call oneself a Chicano or a Chicana is a political thing. Um, so I think it's slowly changing. I think part of that's one of the reasons that Mexican-American studies, I think I personally think uh, are really important. I think Mexican-American studies programs in universities and wherever they're available are really important because they kind of correct that misconception and they kind of show you, they kind of teach you what the real history is. Let's see. I wanted to read something to you guys. I think this kind of captures it. So this is a famous poem uh, written by a Chicano activist, student organizer named Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez. He was active in Denver during the Chicano movement. Um, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there from the movement. Um, and this is a very famous poem. It's very long. It's called I Am Joaquin. And it's kind of uh, this meditation on what it is to be Chicano. So here's just like the first couple lines of it. Um, it's very Chicano in the, in the sense that it's both in Spanish and in English. So if you don't understand the Spanish, that's okay. My Spanish is also not that great. I think we can talk about that in a little bit, but here it goes. This is the first couple of lines of I am Joaquin by Corky Gonzalez. Yo soy Joaquin, perdido en un mundo de confusión. I am Joaquin. Lost in a world of confusion. Caught up in the world of a gringo society. Confused by the rules. Scorned by attitudes. Suppressed by manipulation. And destroyed by modern society. My fathers have lost the economic battle and won the struggle of cultural survival. So, I think that kind of sums it up. If I can interject, I, uh, I've never read this poem, but I um, can already tell it will be something that I print out and hang up all over my house because even from those first few lines, I think um, there's just so much to unpack, right? This idea um, where he says something along the lines of um, being lost in a world of confusion and being sort of caught in the world of a traditionally white society is something that I have struggled with. Um, I've struggled with, you know, obviously I was born in America, maybe not obviously, but I was born in America and my first language was Spanish. And so learning the English language was very difficult and I, I think it's something that everyone that I've met that has family members who have migrated from Latin America or from a Spanish, predominantly Spanish-speaking country, they struggle with this idea of who am I, right? And it's something that I continue to struggle with, right? Um, I was having a conversation with my sister a few weeks ago, and we were talking about our different friend circles and she was saying that 
she and I couldn't, I can't relate, or I couldn't for a long time growing up. I couldn't relate to the experiences of my friends who just happened to live in a more affluent community. But in exchange, my classmates could also not understand my experience coming from a Latin, uh, from a Spanish speaking family. We were relatively poor. Uh, so to me, I think I've always had this internal battle of who am I? Where do I belong in this world? And actually, surprisingly, I spent maybe a year or two kind of lying to my friends in, I think, like elementary school and middle school that I didn't speak Spanish just because of the because of the stereotypes or the cliches that were associated with that. And it's a time of my life that I deeply, deeply regret. Um, and, if I, and if I could take it back, I certainly would. But I think it's universal what he's talking about when he says, you know, lost in this world that's full of confusion. Um, because I still feel that way, you know? And I don't know if I will ever not feel this way. Right. Yeah. So I think you just described what it is to be a Chicano pretty well. Um, and I think it is a shared experience. And I don't think you have to be Mexican-American to feel that way. Um, and there's a couple of things that we have all kind of touched on in the past few minutes that I, I think are really important distinctions in this within this experience. Once we start thinking about it as a spectrum of experiences or, or of walking through this world that are all related, but they're all different. And one of those is language. We don't all speak Spanish. We don't all speak English. Um, some of us were born here, but even within the, the group of people who were born here, some people's parents were born here and some people's parents were not born here. Um, we all have varying degrees of experience with the, with the migrant experience. So we all have, we all relate to this culture to varying degrees. We all relate to our language to varying degrees. And it's a struggle to, to find our place, to really, to really navigate American society. Um, and I think I can relate to you, Sebastian, because I've, I've always felt that way too. And, and it's interesting. And I think one of the big Chicano things in my mind is is that I'm Mexican, right? My my parents got here and they're like, you're Mexican. It is Mexicano. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Okay, cool. And then you go back to Mexico and they call you names because you're not you're not Mexican to them. Exactly. You're not. You know, you're not you're not part of the culture anymore. You're you're a gringo or whatever. And and it kind of hurts. And then you come back here and you're like, man, culturally, I'm American. I listen to rock music. I listen to like whatever. I wear Levi's. Uh, I, I go to, you know, I go to school and I learn about democracy and, and, and the history of this nation. And, and, and I take pride in, in everything that, that it means to be American. I'm also American. And then I go out there and sometimes people call me names too. Um, and people will say that I'm not American because of the way that I look. And, and it doesn't happen to me so much because I have the privilege of not looking as, as brown as I could. But 
that puts us in this place where we're neither here nor there and that that's a phrase that i use intentionally because it's it's kind of associated with that movement we're neither here nor there um, and that's the struggle um and that's what's so peculiar about where we exist is that we're in this in between we exist at the borderlands of these cultural identities we're both uh, but we're not you know i think this is something that's in like the selena movie if you ever see it but um, yeah there's some quotes in there about what it's like to be mexican-american it's tough i mean it's hard i think you bring up such a fantastic point because that is another thing that i've um that I have struggled with growing up. My sister, she is uh, very brown skinned. You can definitely tell that, um, you know, she has some, you know, Latin American um, ancestry. Um, but when you look at me, I'm a little bit more fair skinned. I mean, I tan in the summer, which kind of helps. Um, but like during the winter months, you know, if I don't just outright start speaking Spanish, um, a lot of people don't realize that my family comes from Latin America. And that's something that I have struggled with also because um, my mom will just, uh, there, I remember there was this incident at a grocery store once and um, she was speaking Spanish and someone says someone said something derogatory to, to toward her you know along the lines of in america we speak english or why don't you speak english or something like that and i was i think i was not in her vicinity but i sort of saw everything happen and when i walked up to the lady um she was visibly shocked because i didn't I, I don't think she expected me to look the way I did. And this incident has always stuck with me um, because I think, um, like you said, Oscar, I think there is a luxury of walking through life where our skin tone is different. And so, and so I, I consider myself passing completely. And it's not something that I'm necessarily proud of because I, I, I personally feel like it makes me, I, I feel like it diminishes my experience, which is completely absurd, but I feel like it diminishes my own experience as a, a child of immigrants when people can look at me and their, their first thought is not, oh, this person is not white. And that's something I've always struggled with. And you feel guilty? I, I do. Yeah, I feel a ton of guilt. Absolutely. Yeah. I think of my sister, you know, who is, oh my gosh, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I'll try not to. Um, I think of my sister and her experience, right? And she has been applying to jobs and a ton of jobs and it's gotten to a point where she feels frustrated because she's like, is it because, you know, I have, her name's Nicole and, you know, is it because I don't look the part or something like that? And that to me just really breaks my heart, you know, because she's equally, and I think we all know this, you know, she's equally talented. And I think this can be said about 
countless individuals. Um, she's equally talented, equally driven, dedicated, passionate. Um, but for her, I, uh, she's she just turned 21 in October. And for her to, you know, be thinking in this way, it makes me sad because I haven't experienced that. Um, and so it's a ton of guilt that I walk life with, you know, I, I, it's a ton of guilt. Yeah, that's, it's pretty powerful. I, I, I know what you mean. You're definitely not alone. Um, I think appearance is one thing. Passing is, I mean, something I actually thought about having a whole episode on. We could talk about passing all day, really. Um, we could talk about passing and kind of race within Latino, Mexican-American, uh, Hispanic communities. There's a lot of racism in our culture. Uh, a lot of it, I think, internalized um, there's a deep history of colonialism. And um, I think another layer that we don't see all the time is kind of the, there's this tradition of mixed status families when you're an immigrant sometimes. And uh, a lot of Mexican-Americans and Mexican families struggle with different people in different parts of the family, especially when you get into extended family. Looking different shades, but also having different immigration statuses. And that can be very difficult. That can be very, I think in some cases, kind of bittering because we have very, very different experiences um, in this country. Um, yeah, I think that's something that's not limited to the Hispanic community at all. Um, it's, it's complicated. So I guess the point of this for me is to say, hey, we're all here. We're all different. We're all very different. We can look exactly the same, but we're, we're very different. And, and it's kind of strange to me how we're all lumped into this category as much as I love being Hispanic and, you know, Latino. Um, we all have very different experiences. And I, and I haven't even talked about how different it is to be somebody who takes the land route here. Uh, through Latin America to to cross the land border here on between Mexico and the U.S. and then what it is to be somebody from one of the island nations that's that's in the Caribbean. It's different, um, and it's different when you have different political circumstances. And and you're Cuban. Being a Cuban immigrant or being a, a Puerto Rican immigrant is not the same as being a different kind of Latin American immigrant. And and that gets really dicey. And there's a, there's a lot of tension between communities, and I can't really get into all that, but it's a very different migratory experience. Um, the same way that th this is just one of the things that kind of shapes the different experiences. I mean, we could talk about skin tone, we could talk about language, we could talk about migration and, and legal status, and none of that is reflected when you look at the the public discourse that talks about us as, as one voter block. And that's, that's something I really want to drive home here is that we are not a Latino vote. We're a million different Latino votes. We are a million different kinds of voters with different interests, with different experiences, with different degrees of cultural assimilation, and with slightly different stakes in society. So I think you guys have done a really good job at describing that.
I can say um, in terms of like the passing thing that I myself prior to, um, you know, understanding, I guess I would say as a child, I was very ignorant to um, some of the um, the different, um, what you would say, ethnicities and uh, um, when it comes to uh, the Hispanic and Latina community. Um, I would say my biggest thing was especially like when it came in terms of like Puerto Ricans, I always used to like associate them with being white or like white passing all the time. And you know, I had Puerto Rican friends as a child. So, um, you know, we would joke about it, but thinking, like looking back on it now, it was kind of really insensitive. And I get like kids are kids, but um, I think that's something that should definitely be like taught or instilled um, within like, whether it be like the family realm or in the educational realm, that there's, um, you know, different, uh, people of different shades and different colors don't necessarily mean that they're, you know, white or black or, you know, things like that. Um, I think that was one of my biggest things growing up was just knowing the difference and uh, separating, you know, um, black and white from, you know, so many other ethnicities and races and things like that. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. There's also a history of like a lot of racial mixing and i think one of the one of the things with the chicano movement in particular is i think that the chicano movement and a lot of mexican americans and i think mexicans try to ignore that there's like black people in mexico uh and latin america i think there's like a huge racial problem in latin american cultures where we're like oh we don't talk about you know somebody who obviously looks really black we're just not gonna acknowledge that um and i think you get that a little bit more in the Caribbean. There's a lot of conversations in the Caribbean that I just can't even touch because, I mean, people are really sensitive about that. And it's kind of weird. Like, why, why are we sensitive about the kind of, I mean, cultural backgrounds that we have or different ethnicities? Um, and I think for Mexico, at least, one of the things that we try to, like, avoid in Mexican history is that, you know, there was this whole debate about slavery, um, especially when it came to Texas and the Anglo settlers there that had slave that had slaves. Um, and I think that there's this romanticization in Mexican history that like, hey, that we didn't have this institution of slavery. But when you look at how native peoples were colonized, it was pretty brutal. I mean, they were they were worked. They were worked really hard. There's there's a lot of good documentation about how how uh, the tribes that were conquered were just made to work and develop a nation. I mean, they weren't, they weren't part of institutional slavery, but I can't say that. I mean, they probably had a terrible time, honestly. Um, and I, I wanted to share something here about my own lineage. So my family's from this kind of arid highland north of, in the north side of the state of San Luis. And I think I realize now that the communities around there were some of the indigenous communities that didn't really, they were so remote, they weren't affected by some of this colonialism uh, to the same extent as like some of the other areas. Uh, there were mining towns surrounding the, the part of Mexico that, that my family came from, but, you know, there, there wasn't like a Spanish foothold up there because it was mountainous. It was hard to get to. Um, there are like historic, I've done a lot of research into the history of it. And there's like, you had to take a mule through the mountains to get to this place. Um, and then when you got there, it was nothing but native Americans or, you know, whatever you would call them, indigenous tribes. Um, and I've talked to my grandparents about this and try to figure out 
where we come from and stuff but i've done a like an ancestry family tree that goes back to like 1620 and it's really hard to find a spaniard up there around that time it's still really remote um so i guess i'm saying that to say that maybe my people were lucky but i think a lot of native americans were treated very very poorly um but we try to ignore that i think as mexicans and i don't think mexico is the only country that does that we just try to ignore that yes black people were brought here almost 100 against their will and some of the black people that ended up in mexico and other countries uh there's there's an entire like subculture you could just i mean there's there's terms for escaped slaves that ended up forming communities um i think there's a term for that in in like every culture that i can think of there's a history of that so we just try to kind of ignore it i think i just wanted to throw that out there it's very convenient to ignore i can attest to that um i'll say in, in the black community i feel like in every community um there's some sort of like underlying racism or issue with the people you share you know genetics or similarities with um did that make sense um I feel like in the black community there's a lot of internalized hate for each other when like be, being that we're in the situations we're in I feel like we should definitely um be using our differences to uplift each other um you know because you are the minorities you are the underdogs you are the people that uh, you know are targeted most so I definitely feel like um a lot of that a lot of the I feel like that also plays a part in why we're so um you know hindered too is because you know um we don't see the values in each other that we see in ourselves and vice versa. Um and that may stem from the system of racism. It may just be like a manipulation tactic, you know. But either way, I feel like there should definitely be some sort of strength amongst, you know, the different communities um rather than, you know, separation. Right. Yeah. I think that I think there's a there's a history of racism across the world that's so it was so institutionalized and there's this is again this is probably something we'll have a, a podcast episode about but the history of colonialism and imperialism in the world is i think really important background to a lot of what we're talking about and i think an easy way for us to understand it being here is by understanding the I'm just going to be blunt. I I don't think everybody's going to love that I'm saying this. I think it's kind of people try to ignore that the United States was kind of an empire um with a lot of like pseudo-colonial possessions and territories, but I think if you study kind of the United States as an empire or as a as a colonial or neo-colonial power, you really start to see how that shaped the modern world um or at least that's that's kind of what peeled my eyes back to it and i think that it it puts into context a lot of the a lot of the terrible things that have happened to minorities in the united states and a lot of the patterns that you see kind of recur in history and there's a lot of good books on that uh the books that i've looked at i think one that i read recently is called um how to hide an empire and Sometimes I think as Americans we don't think about all the territories that used to be part of the United States or some that still are and 
why that might be the case, we don't really get taught about the history that the United States has with the Philippines. Um, and I think if you study the Philippines and the history of the Philippines and U.S. intervention, occupation, however you want to call it, you know, but the U.S. presence in the Philippines historically, I think can tell you a lot about how the United States has approached minorities in the past, how the United States has approached non-Anglo people in the past, um, the U.S. history in Puerto Rico. The uh, U.S. has a really mixed history in, in Puerto Rico. Uh, they, they deployed a lot of unethical medical practices in Puerto Rico. I think that modern policing, depending on who you talk to and who you read, has a deep history in really harsh kind of constabularies that were run by the United States and the Philippines. I mean, there's so much to read about. Um, so, yeah, I, I just try to encourage people to think about colonialism and imperialism and how empires that no longer exist like the british empire you know if we're if we're going to call them something different today like everything that has happened in the past 100 200 years is still affecting us today um, and i just want to be open about that and i want to encourage people to read about it i don't think there's anything controversial about acknowledging the history of this country and other countries i mean it's it's not a happy history, but it needs to be taught or people don't understand why the systems that we have in place are in place. And I think a lot of that at a very specific level has to do with Mexican-Americans. I mean, we're affected by a lot by these perspectives, by the way that other minorities have been treated. I mean, I feel like Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, especially today, try to shy away from the history of slavery in this country and pretend it doesn't affect them. It has always affected us. Um, and I, I think Brooklyn has brought up points of like unity and, and, and kind of this shared struggle. And I think it's important for Mexican-Americans and Chicanos to think of uh, African-Americans, Black communities in the United States as teammates, you know, as people who have, who have gone through. I mean, a, lo a lot of like even the Chicano movement, I think, looked at the the black civil rights movement as this, this blueprint for liberation. Like, hey, this is how we do it. Um, and we can do it together. Because why, why wouldn't we? So you guys have any other thoughts here? I think you guys have done great. I really appreciate everything you guys have shared. We appreciate you doing such a wonderful job at moderating. So thank you. Thank you. I'm Oscar. Oh, no, thank you guys. Like I'm just talking, but I really appreciate it. And I hope I hope people listen to this and I hope we can make more episodes because there's so much to talk about. Um, I'll try to put some resources in the in the description here and you know, hopefully as we, as we make this a more regular thing, I'll have more more books for people to look at and resources for people to kind of start thinking about this a little differently. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I think this will be a lot of fun. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Yeah, thank, thank you guys. You. I really appreciate thank it. You.